How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensey. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going great. Uh, first podcast and first interview in my new place, so uh, I'm real excited to get this one on the road, and it's going to be great. I was going to say, and I didn't really realize this until today that i guess this is the very first third line plug sensecast episode that you have done in your new place yeah we'll work on a studio name uh it won't change every time we mention it like yours oh shots fired tim shots fired (laughs) today's episode marks a very special occasion for the podcast not only is this the debut episode from tim's brand new home in calgary alberta but also because we have a very special guest on the line. Our guest today is a longtime Ottawa media and sports personality. His career in radio and television has spanned well over two decades following his attendance to Dawson College and Algonquin College for television production and radio broadcasting, respectively. Outside of his career in radio and television, he has served as the public dress announcer for a number of Ottawa professional sports teams, including the now-defunct Ottawa Rebel of the National Lacrosse League and the Ottawa Renegades of the Canadian Football League. However, he will be best remembered as the public address announcer for the Ottawa Senators from 2006 until 2018. He also served as the public address announcer for the 2010 Winter Olympics in Vancouver and 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia. Nowadays, you can catch him on the Magic 100 Morning Show alongside his co-host and work wife, Angie Poirier. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us from our nation's capital of Ottawa, Ontario, the man affectionately known as Stuntman Stu, Stu Schwartz. Stu... How's it going? Welcome to the show. Hey, Tim. Hey, Taylor. What's going on? That sounded like an obit. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's crazy, man. Like, well, he was best remembered for his Bobby Ryan goal calls. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, guys? It's going really well, Stu. Really well. You know, uh, Tim and I have been very, very excited to have you on the podcast. We've wanted to have you on for a long time. I do have a bit of a confession to make, though, Stu. A few years ago when we started this podcast, we actually put together an interview wish list. Now, over the last couple of years, we've actually crossed off some very notable names, including Ian Mendez and Jamie McLennan. I have a very big confession to make, Stu. I can't believe that we did not include you on this list. After all these years, I'm just realizing this now. Bastards. Hey, we fixed it by getting him on the show. That's right. I'm talking about Mendez. Yeah, I know. Look, I know. I can't believe that we haven't gotten you on there yet, Stu. But you know what? We decided to right or wrong today and get you on the podcast for the very first time. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, fellas. Stu, we have so many questions that we want. We got to ask you. Now, we got to start off by asking. Now, given that we are in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic and with your recent battle with leukemia, I got to ask, how have you and your family been holding up during this pandemic? Pretty well. I mean, it was crazy at the beginning because I was in hospital and, you know, leaving my wife with two kids that were, uh, you know, with their schooling and everything was falling apart. Thankfully, my wife was in the reins. You know, the spring pandemic, we're like, you know, there's 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 other days when they're screaming. There's other days when everything's fine. We're just trying to survive just like everyone else. Yeah, I honestly can agree with that, Stu. And and I was thinking about that, Stu, because I was following you on social media, and and I know a few months ago you were finally 
in remission of your leukemia. So I thought, honestly, this was probably one of the best questions we have to open up this interview with, given your recent health issues, but also because we are in a very serious pandemic. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I have a very low immune system. I have the same immune system that a, baby, a newborn baby would have. So I have to be extra careful when I go out. I Obviously, I wear a mask, and I try not to touch too many things when I'm out in public. And when I get home, you know, I've got some hand sanitizer in the car. As soon as I get home, I'm washing my hands. And the same thing for the kids. Everyone in this house, you know, understands that if I get sick, I could potentially die. So, you know, with a, it doesn't help with the pandemic, but... I've been living this world for the last four years. When I was first uh, diagnosed in 2016, when I went through my first bone marrow transplant, the doctors told me, when you go out in a store, make sure you're wearing a mask. And I wore a mask once, and I thought it, I thought it was stupid. So, <laughs> I mean, this whole world that we're living in now is, is a world that I've known for the last four years. As we said off the top, Stu, you attended Dawson College for television production and Algonquin College for radio broadcasting as you were part of the now legendary CK DJ. One thing I love doing with these kind of interviews is I love learning about certain things about these kind of people that we've had on the show. And for example, like in doing research for this interview, Stu, I was actually quite amazed to learn of some of the alumni of Dawson and Algonquin, most notably Jerry Barishall, who was, went to Dawson, and Tom Green, who went to Algonquin College. What inspired you to want to get into television and radio? And overall, how did you enjoy your time in those institutions? Well, as far back as I can remember, my dad used to drive me into school as early as, uh, as grade five. And we used to listen to a morning show driving in every single day. And we used to laugh all the time. And I remember my dad saying, I'd love to take his paycheck home for one week. He said, these guys on the radio get paid to do this. Can you imagine that, Stuart? And I said, no, Dad. And I was always a fan of radio and TV. And I always dreamed of being on radio and TV. And then I finally got the opportunity to live out my dream. Now, when you were attending CKDJ, or sorry, going to Alcon College to work with CKDJ. Am I under the impression, Stu, that there was a certain TSN broadcaster that you also attended Algonquin College with during that time? Yes. Back then, he used to sign off to Sportscast. And that sports on CKDJ, I'm Dan O'Toole. <laughs> and you know what's funny, Stu, is that... CKDJ has become very well known through the Jan Dan podcast when Dan started bringing the CKDJ tapes. And honestly, I used to just die laughing listening to those because I'm like, you could definitely tell he is so green doing those. And the fact that he's actually willing to bring those in and show the listeners and say like, hey, listen, this is what I did. This is what I do now is actually really cool. Yeah. Yeah. He, Dan's a really, really good guy. I have all the time for Dan. Now, one quick question I do have to ask about the time that you were attending college. Is this around the time that you got the nickname that you are now affectionately known as, Stuntman Stu? It wasn't from college. It was around the same time. It was um, January of 96. I started volunteering and hanging out at 106.9 The Bear on the morning show, and I went up one morning and I did a stunt. When I came back to the station, Doc and Woody sat me down and said, that was a great, great stunt you did today, but you got to have a handle. you got to have a nickname. They threw around a bunch of names. Uh, there was Super Stew, St uh, Studly Stew, and then Doc said, how about Stuntman Stew? And I said, I remember saying to him, Doc, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and here we are, pays the mortgage. 
What was the stunt? Back before social media was a thing, the Tragically Hip had announced, well, they didn't announce, there was a surprise show at Barrymore's Music Hall, the legendary club in Ottawa. And the rival rock station, Shea 106, got the scoop the night before. So they had time to prepare all their vehicles, and they had their morning show broadcasting live across the street from Barrymore's. As word leaked out at like 5.30 in the morning, the crowd started to line up around Barrymore's. And by 7 o'clock, there was probably about 500 people waiting in line. Shea 106 was broadcasting across the street. I show up in in my little shitbox car. And all I have is bare sticker sand out. So every time uh, the promotions director for Shea was handing out mugs and uh, frisbees, I would take them from the people's hands and put, slap a bear sticker on it. It was guerrilla marketing and, and it, was ch- it was childish, but uh, it got me got me well known. And I also had the crowd chanting as Shea 106 was broadcasting live, Shea sucks the bear rocks. <laughs> <laughs> completely, immature, completely immature, but that's the way radio wars were back then. I was going to say, Stu, could you imagine doing that today with social media being as prevalent oh, as God. it is? No, it, it's a totally different world. And I'm glad I had a taste of the world before social media because, I mean, my kids, that's all they know. My kids ask me, Daddy, did you have the internet when you were young? No. We had TV and an Archie comic book, and we played outside for like 24 hours, 12 hours. Following your attendance at Dawson and Algonquin College, you set off into your career in television and radio, which included stops with Rogers Television and CTV Ottawa, as well as with a number of radio stations, including Magic 100, where you currently host their morning show. For somebody like myself, who once considered a career in TV and radio, which has now led to this podcast, I always love hearing people in those kind of professions talking about their professional careers and the work that they put into building what they have now now given your 20 plus years in the media stew i actually would love to uh, hear from you about the work and everything you've put into building the career that you have today you know what uh, for the longest time and you know pretty much my motto was fake it till you make it and i really had no idea what i was doing in the beginning i was emulating other people that i was a fan of and especially you know radio came naturally to me uh, TV took a little bit of time because with TV, there's you have to look at the camera a certain way, especially if you're doing news. You have to understand you're standing in front of a blue screen, then you're trying to do weather, and you're trying to fake it and, and, and tap dance, and you have an earpiece. So it's a whole bunch of things going on. But that prepared me for working for the Ottawa Senators, where in twenty with 20,000 fans, you've got you know headset on. Uh, there's a crew that's, that's, that's behind the scenes that, that are calling the shots. And you gotta, you gotta, you gotta handle the, the constant motion, the constant dancing in your, in your, in your ears. So, I mean, for the longest time, I literally had no idea what I was doing. I was, I was uh, just trying to, uh, you know, fake it and hope that nobody would catch on. When I tend to hear about people in in the professional media talking about their careers, they usually talk about having a preference of doing TV or radio for yourself. Like, do you have a preference whether you enjoy doing TV or radio more? Honestly, I mean, it's the same for me. I I love both mediums. Um, Obviously television requires a lot of work, you know, how to look like I could be naked and doing radio. I mean, I'm actually wearing pants and a short for this interview, but, uh, you know, for TV, you got to get all dressed up. you got to have makeup on. you got to act the part. you got to look the part. Uh, you still have to be yourself. I, I love both equally. I was going to say, because you mentioned you're wearing shorts, I thought you mentioned on social media that you weren't going to be wearing shorts once it started snowing in Ottawa. 
I only wore wore pants once last week. Mm. That's powerful, and I respect that immensely. I know. I had to go get my winter tires put on, and literally was like minus two. So I'm like, you know what? Screw this. I'm wearing pants. The advent of Zoom. Do you think a lot of TV pat personalities are only really made up? from the top down. I remember watching a uh, hockey night in Canada during the playoffs this year and everyone was behind a desk in like their offices. Uh, there'd be a dog or a kid running by. Do you think people are just wearing like pajama pants? Oh, totally. I mean, you know, we broadcast every day on magic and the only one that's, uh, that's made up is Janelle. She's in the studio, but Angie's broadcasting live from her basement and starting in January, I've been given the clear, all clear to go back to work and broadcast from my basement. Outside of your work on television and radio, most people would know you from your time working as the public address announcer for a number of sports teams in Ottawa, including the, the Ottawa Senators. Public address announcers are oftentimes overlooked in the grand scheme of things when it comes to the in-game experience at sport events back when we were actually allowed to go to them for a number of various reasons. I don't believe that you've ever talked about it in any kind of interview, but how exactly did you get involved with being a public address announcer? I... Um... I, I always loved the announcer's job because I grew up in Montreal and I used to go to uh, Habs games. And the legendary former public address <laughs> announcer, when I was going to games, bless you, thank you, was um, Claude. Um, oh my God, Claude, Claude, Claude. I'm drawing a blank. I know Michel Lacroix is the current one. Oh my God, I'm embarrassed that I don't know this. Claude, have out of wit. It'll come to me. Anyways, I used to go to school the next day and, and mimic him in front of my classmates when I was in grade three. Canadian goal scored by number 19, Larry Robinson, assisted by, avec l'aide numéro 10, assisted by number 10, Guy Lafleur. And he would always say at the end of the games, La troisième étoile, the third star, chosen by Red Fisher of the Montreal Gazette, la troisième étoile, the third star. And I used, to, I used to love that. And I figured if I could never make the NHL, I would at least, you know, get close to it. So in the summer of uh, 2000, a good friend of mine said, hey, uh, Stu, the Ottawa Rebel Lacrosse are coming to town. I'm in charge of putting together the team, uh, you know, the team of the, the game day production team. Do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be the public address announcer? I said, yes, absolutely. So I cut my teeth for a couple of years for the Rebel Lacrosse, and then this, the owner of the, the Rebel brought the Renegades to town. So it was a natural transition transition for me to go from that job to the CFL job and then in 2006 uh, a buddy of mine said, you know before social media said hey there's the Sens are looking for a public address announcer look on their website so I looked on the website sent in a horrible mp3 and then I got the audition now one thing I've always wanted to know about public address announcing Stu is that because you worked in lacrosse you worked in football and you worked in hockey what are some of the very subtle differences in doing public announcing depending on the sport well definitely with football you're talking a lot more um and you, you you're always your your lips are always moving hockey's a little different you can go like 20 minutes without saying a thing outside of the announcements during uh during stoppages of play there's no there's the same amount of excitement with a first down as as announcing a first down as there is with announcing a, a goal I found. I'm, I'm actually looking up the. Um, oh God, uh, the the uh, Habs uh, PA announcer. Okay. <laughs> actually, one thing uh, in Calgary, I've been blessed to go to a number of lacrosse games, and one thing I noticed with uh, lacrosse 
nowadays is the PA announcer is very involved with the fans, almost yeah. in like a call and response way. Was that the case when you worked with the NLL in Ottawa? It was. Uh, they wanted me to, uh, you know, engage with the fans, and I, I got to the point that, you know, I could get away with anything I wanted to. So, um, there was one game we were getting pelted like. We were, we were playing the Toronto Rock, and they kept scoring, and they kept scoring, and they kept scoring. And finally, I announced the 12th goal. Toronto Rock goal scored by, does it really matter anymore? And the crowd of about 6,000 left. So you can't do that in, in hockey. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, definitely not. So in 2006, Stu, after working as a public address announcer for several years, you were hired by the Ottawa Senators to become their public address announcer. As somebody who became a Sens fan around the time you were hired, I can still recall hearing your calls during Sens games on TV, given that I was born and raised in British Columbia and I never lived in Ottawa. And especially going back to re-watch some of those old YouTube clips while writing up this interview, like I can still hear in my voice you're saying, Senators goal scored by number 11, Daniel Alfredson. Now... During your tenure with the team, you were on hand for a number of memorable moments in Sens history, including Game 3 of the 2007 Stanley Cup Finals, Alfredson retiring as a Senator, and the NHL 100 Classic. Now, given that you did talk a little bit about how the opportunity came about with you joining the Senators, is there a moment or a couple of moments that really stick out for you working with the team? Definitely. And the uh, former, the late uh, Habs PA announcer in the 80s was Claude Mouton, who I used to and mock and, and mimic at, at school the next day. So, Claude Mouton. Um, sends moments. Uh, announcing a, um, you know, kid's first goal was always special. You know, that, that kid's family is, is usually in the crowd uh, for that goal. And uh, I always wrote down that goal word by word uh, because I didn't want to screw it up. That kid will never remember me announcing it, but, you know, I don't want to screw it up for his friends and family that are in the crowd. That was always special. There was more things away from the ice that were actually really, really cool. We had a number of memorial puck drops, uh, sorry, memorable puck drops. And there was one pregame ceremony. It was just after uh, Nathan Cirillo was gunned down in Ottawa. It was in 2014. And the game against the Leafs that night was postponed. So the next game, I think it was against the Devils. Uh, they took uh, Hockey Night in Canada took our pregame ceremony where we had to do the moment of silence, and there all there was all the script, and it was in both languages, which was tough enough for me. And uh, it was broadcast. The pregame uh, 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 show that we had in Ottawa was shown in Toronto and shown in Montreal, so and, and across the country. But uh, to, to have my voice in those other packed arenas was really, really um, emotional. And trying to get my head around that, you know, when I got the three, two, one, go, I had rehearsed it for about, a, you know, two days. And when they finally, you know, gave me the cue, it's like, you know, there's no turning back now. So that was, a, that was one thing I'll never forget. And speaking as someone who uh, was locked down pretty close to where Cirillo, Cirillo was unfortunately shot at, it was a very, very calming experience for me and I'll forever thank you for it. Now, those are the things that you don't want to have to do, but when, when you're called to do it, you just, you buckle up, you try and, you know, put your emotions on the side and read that script a thousand times, make sure there's no screw-ups. You know, when screw-ups happen, you just, you have to roll over and, and, and pick yourself back up. I screwed up at the uh, World Championships in 2016. I had just come back from my battle with cancer, 
and I was given the wrong uh, rundown. So as I announced, Corey Perry, it wasn't Corey Perry on the screen. And I didn't realize it until I looked up the screen. I'm like, that's not Corey Perry. And then in my ears, somebody said, no, 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 that's, that's, Cole, that's Cole Giroux. And so I, it's on YouTube. And I hated that moment because I was caught. And, you know, you're, you're caught on TV, you're caught, you know, and, and Twitter now, everyone is quick to call you out. You know, and I became that guy that night. But, you know, people gave me a break because I get, came back from cancer. But if I didn't have cancer, oh, my God, I would have been roasted. <laughs> Actually, it's interesting uh, speaking about Twitter there, just being very active on Twitter nowadays, both as someone who is part of the organization and uh, someone who is now part of the radio media around Ottawa. How is it different being on Twitter when you're both on the inside and the outside? Uh, and how do you enjoy interacting with fans on that medium? I've always enjoyed, uh, you know, the social media aspect. You know, before everyone started to go crazy on it, I was an early adapter, and I, I saw the reason why I, 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 you know, interacted with people on Twitter every day. And I actually said this to my boss in 2010. He said to me, "Why do you always? Why are you always on that Twitter machine?" I'm like, you know, because the show ends at nine, and I want to talk to people throughout the day. I want to know what people are into because if I know what people are into, we can talk about that on the show and be more relatable to people. I find that uh, social media, especially Twitter, has become a, an absolute cesspool in the last four years. And, um, you know, I just learned to block and mute people because, you know, if somebody has a difference of opinion, they can take it a little too far and I don't have an appetite for that. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. And I know that Tim and I have made the same kind of comments on the show when talking about social media is that the last couple of years, like it's gotten to a point where I don't want to say it's gotten really toxic, but you're absolutely right. It has become a cesspool in so many ways with just some of the tweets and some of the comments that end up coming up on social media regarding the sends just from fans. Well, I have a good time, you know, I'm engaged in the tweets about the sends, obviously, cause I'm still I'm obviously a huge fan. But when I see some of the comments, I'm like, buddy, you have no idea what you're talking about. You have no clue what you're talking about. And I can't say that. You know, I can't say because I've been on the inside, uh, you know, because that will compromise my position, you know, with the SENS alumni. And I don't want to wreck that relationship. But, I mean, some of the some of the stuff that people just, you know, pull out of their ass just makes me laugh. <laughs> now, I got to ask, Stu, now given you're talking about stuff that people pull out of their ass – are, are you mentioning the tweets about pineapple on pizza? <laughs> That's a whole different subject. <laughs> Fruit should never be on salad or on pizza. In doing research for this interview, one thing that really came as a surprise to me has to be the fact that you served as the public address announcer for the 2010 Vancouver and 2014 Sochi Olympics. Excluding the big moments you were on hand for with the Senators, I imagine this had to have been a huge milestone in your career. So... Do you mind talking a little bit about how this opportunity came about for yourself? Not at all. In 2009, uh, uh, actually, a, uh, uh, an employee of the SENS, uh, Steve Harding, gave me a heads up that he was going to work for the Olympic Games. I'm like, that's cool. He's like, do you want to come out and audition? I'm like, absolutely. So the Olympic Committee flew me out in the fall of 2009. It was actually in August of 2009, the last week and a half of August, I was in Vancouver for the women's, uh, it was a women's hockey tournament, 
between you know a couple of different uh, between Sweden, Finland, Canada, and the U.S. It was a almost a two week tournament where we it was like a uh, like a mock Olympics. It was um, you know they sold tickets for it, so I was the French announcer. You know they had an English announcer, so I was hired as the French announcer. And I mean, my French is passable, but not, I'm not fluent in it. I can, I can fake my way through it. But anyways, when I was being driven back to the airport, I said to my producer, I said, you know what? I had a great time. So let me know how, how it was. So she called me a week later. She said, I'm sorry, Stu, the, uh, the president doesn't think your French is strong enough. And I'm like, it's Vancouver. Who the hell cares? And then, um, I said, listen, I said, any, I'll take any job. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll announce anything. So a month went by, and she called me back and said, I've got women's hockey open for English announcers. It's not men's hockey. Do you still want it? I'm like, absolutely, friggin' loosely. So I flew out to Vancouver in 2010. I announced women's hockey for, for the better part of three weeks. I did a couple of uh, men's qualifying games, which was really, really cool. And then I was done my work, and then I enjoyed the rest of the Olympics, including the gold medal game. And the women's gold medal final as a fan was from friends. Now, I have to ask about that gold medal game because I've talked to people in the past who have gone to said game and they said that is easy one of the craziest fan experiences they've ever experienced at a sporting event. Now, given that you have worked in, like I said, you worked for the Sens, you've worked for a number of other teams, for yourself, not somebody who has worked on the inside, but somebody just as a fan, is that one of the craziest sports moments you've attended? Absolutely. We were sitting behind a whole bunch of uh, people from NBC in Vancouver. We were 15 rows from the ice and all these Americans were around us. And I remember when they tied it up, you know, I remember going to pee and there was, there was huge tension. You know, nobody, we wanted to believe that we could win, but we also knew Frick, those Americans are going to win this game on our turf. And we just couldn't wrap our heads around it. So when Canada scored, I mean, I turned to a buddy of mine, and we still joke to this day. And I, I turned to him, like, fuck yeah! And every time we see each other, email each other, uh, the first thing we say to each other is, fuck yeah! <laughs> it, was an, it was probably the best sporting experience of my life. Oh, that's amazing, Tim. So, Stu, unfortunately, this is the part of the interview that I will be the first to admit that I have not been looking forward to just because of a very serious subject that I do have to bring up, that being your two separate battles with leukemia. In 2016, you tearfully revealed on social media of your diagnosis, which then sparked the Stu Strong campaign, then becoming the Stu Strong 2 following its return earlier this year. And one thing I find very admirable about you, Stu, is that when faced with such a serious obstacle like battling leukemia, you made the decision to use that as an opportunity to raise awareness and funds for cancer research. How and when did you ultimately make the decision to start the Stu Strong campaign? And did you have any idea it would have taken off the way it did with the people of Ottawa? Uh, no, I didn't actually at the time. This, the whole Stu Strong thing came up about when I was diagnosed. When you saw that first video that night, I was texting back and forth with a small group of friends, you know, close friends. Uh, one of those uh, close friends was Angie, obviously, uh, and her husband, Adam. And Adam said in one of his texts, hashtag Stu Strong. I'm like, okay, that, that's cool. And then the whole world found out the next day that I was sick. So 
um, I, I was in hospital about a week and a half, and I said, you know what, I, I can't sit here and do nothing. So I, I contacted the, the foundation of the hospital. I said, Tim, I said, I, uh, not Tim, you, but Tim Kluke with the Ottawa Hospital Foundation. I said, Tim, I, I, I got to do something. I got to raise money. I, you know, that's all I know how to do. I've been on the opposite end so many times. Let me do something for the hospital. And he says, let me, let me you know, get back to you. So he came up to my room two days later. He says, we can do this Stu Strong campaign. Where, you, where do you want the money to go? I said, I want the money to go to leukemia and stem cell research. Perfect. Let's. So he set a goal for 25000 bucks. I'm like, are you crazy? Within a week, we had 25000 bucks, And, you know, after that, it just steamrolled. And, and then when I got sick again in, in earlier this year, I said, you know what? We've raised over uh, you know, $300,000. Part two, I'm not going to raise money. I, I want to focus on just getting better. And, if, you know, people want to donate, that's fine. But I'm not actively asking for money this time. But, yeah. So that's, that's how it came about. Now, I understand that a couple of years prior to your diagnosis, then since GM Brian Murray had been diagnosed with terminal colon cancer, which unfortunately he lost his battle in 2017. During that time, did Brian ever reach out to you for support when it came to your leukemia? I don't remember Brian specifically, but the club, uh, you know, you know, put out this beautiful video featuring a number of players, including one of my favorites, um, you know, Bobby Ryan. And, they, you know, the players said all nice things. And um, the club was extremely supportive during my first battle. You know, they had a Stu Strong night, which raised about uh, you know, thousands of $35,000. And it was really emotional, you know, getting recognized as, as a you know as a, a fan because they had our family on the jumbo on the big screen and it was really really emotional i mean the club was super supportive mr melnick was really really supportive for our family and um i have fond memories well one thing i've always recognized with the ottawa senators being a fan when it comes to serious stuff like this is that the team and their fan base and the fan base really goes all in in support. And I know when, um, with Jonathan Petra, when you were diagnosed with leukemia with Brian Murray, it seemed like it just felt like a huge hit to everybody involved, not just members of the Ottawa Senators. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's a small community in Ottawa and the fans, oh my God, the fans were so supportive with me on both battles. I can never say thank you enough to all the people of Ottawa for, you know, rallying around my cause and just being supportive, you know, with the tweets and the DMs and the, you know, the, the Instagram, everything, you know, the, the city has really been, and not just, you know, here in Ottawa, but I've had players that have left the, the team, coaches that have left the team that have reached out to me during my battles. Uh, guys like Claude Giroux, uh, Nick um, Foligno, uh, former coach uh, Paul McLean. I mean, they've been really, really good. The hockey community is such a great community. In 2018, after 14 years as the Sens public address announcer, you stepped down with current PA announcer John Trottier taking over. With the departures of such noted people in the Sens organization over the past couple of years, your resignation was one that I think was especially tough for the fan base. A, given your stature among the city of Ottawa, but B, because there is a generation of Senators fans like myself who became fans around the time that you joined the team. Talk to us about what ultimately led to your decision to departing the Ottawa Senators. 
Well, it was twofold. It was number one, uh, you know, during my first battle, you know, after the radiation and after getting better, I developed a little bit of a speech impediment. So sometimes I stutter and that had never happened to me before. So I had a moment in 2017 where I was actually sent home after the second period because my boss, you know, he called me down to the Zamboni and the second intermission. He's like, Stu, I got to send you home. I've already called your wife, Connie, and you should go home. John's going to take the third period. And I bawled my eyes all, all the way home. Uh, it was really hard for me because, you know, I, I, I'd i beaten cancer. I was like, I'm fine. And then suddenly, you know, I had issues with my speech to this, still to this day, which is hard. for You know, it's almost like taking a player who went and you know, was scoring 30 goals every season. And then all of a sudden he, he injures his, his arm and then he can't he can't score 30 goals anymore. He can only score, score 15. So that was a that was a, th- a factor, and you know also the, the schedule. I just couldn't do late nights and early morning radio anymore. I mean, I go to bed now at eight o'clock, and I'm you know fast asleep. Uh, there would be nights where I where I would be sitting there in the third period, almost falling asleep, and then I had to get up at like four o'clock in the morning for a radio show. I just couldn't do it anymore. The body said no, no more. Great memories, but no more. That's very fair. That that is quite fair, and. It has been quite an adjustment for fans hearing John being the public address announcer over yourself. But one game in particular I do want to ask about, and given that you worked for the Renegades and and then when the Ottawa Rebel moved into the Ottawa Civic Center, had to have been the NHL 100 Classic. Now given, if I'm not mistaken, Stu, I think that might have been the big, or, or the final big moment that you covered with the Ottawa Senators. And given that I was there, do you mind talking a little bit about the NHL 100 Classic? Not at all. I mean, John. Let, let's be let's be fair to John. John is is, is French is obviously his first language, and he's flawless. I mean, it was. Yeah, I learned French and all through through school, but I, you know, moving to Ottawa '94, it's not it's not my mother tongue, so I lost a lot of French. I could fake my way through a lot of uh, goal calls and penalties and and whatnot, but the real real tough um, pregame announcements I, I found they were getting taxing on on me and, and and my dialect I couldn't couldn't pull it off. So for the 2017 um, a game, uh, the Heritage not the Heritage Classic, yeah, the NHL 100 no, Classic the, is the NHL 100. We had uh, Nick, uh, I forget his last name. He was a fr- he's a French radio guy. Nick actually recorded the French, if I remember correctly. No, sorry, Nick recorded the, sorry, uh, sorry about that. Uh, oh, it was opening night 2018 where Nick recorded the French part for the Jonathan Pitra uh, um, announcement that we, the moment of silence that we had. But I, I tackled the French that night, and you know, you're right, that was, that was my last big hurrah. It was amazing. There, there was so much prep going into that game. The crew that put that whole thing together is the same crew that worked, that put together the, the NHL bubble. So I have the ultimate respect for these guys. I had worked with them prior at, at, previously at the 2012 NHL All-Star Game. These guys, this crew, these men and women are the, the best of the best. And the product that they put on the ice is second to none. And working that game, seeing the inside of that game, and you know, being behind the scenes and, and looking at how everything's put together, I have a new respect for for outdoor games. And I know that this is has this hasn't been the first time here on the show that we've talked about the NHL 100 Classic, given that 
when we had Sens DJ Alex Marchant on there, and Alex had worked for the 67s, and, you know, he had worked for the Red Blacks, so TD Place was obviously a place he was very familiar with, and yeah. given that you had worked for the Renegades, like I said, and for the Rebel, I figured this was going to be a really great question again to bring up. It was, um, you know, it was a game that I'll never forget. You know, the, my wife and son were in the crowd freezing their ass off. And, you know, I'm, I'm up in a booth, you know, uh, fairly warm. And the thing that I loved about that game is I wanted to keep the window open because I like hearing the crowd. I don't like being, you know, I don't like being sealed away from the crowd. Like a buddy of mine, Mike Ross, is a, public address, is a PA announcer for the Leafs. And he's in a box, a glass box upstairs in the in the press box, so he doesn't hear the crowd. I can't do that. I need, I need to, hear, to actually hear the crowd. And that game, I was pissing off the whole crew because I want to have the window open. And Marshawn and Paul Gallant, my boss, is like, close the freaking windows. That's, I'm like, keep the window open, jerks. I was in that, that crowd in minus 31 weather, and I was wearing a hoodie because I'm from the West Coast. I've never experienced a real Canadian winter before. Yeah, it's uh, it was a, a freezing cold night, but you know everyone lived. It was a great night, and great memories. So, Tim, do you have any questions for Stu before we head on to rapid fire? Uh, nope. Okay. Let's finish her up. Stu, we really appreciate you taking some time out of your schedule to join us here tonight. Now, I ultimately I love bringing this up. Would you mind playing a quick round of rapid fire with us? Not at all. Fire away. Excellent. So for those who don't know, Rapid Fire was a game started on the Jan Dan podcast when they were with Fox Sports. However, since they've returned to TSN, they have unfortunately abandoned the segment on their podcast. So I decided to take it and make it my own. So Stu, we've got to start off Rapid Fire by asking, what is your favorite drinking establishment in Ottawa? Oh, uh, I would say Giovanni's on Preston Street. What is one thing you would recommend to see or do in Ottawa that isn't a tourist trap? Uh, there's so many of them, so many tourist traps. I would recommend going to La Paterie Houloise on the French side, on the Quebec side, and having a greasy amazing poutine so i know that we talked about this gentleman earlier and i actually reached out to mr dan o'toole from tsn on instagram and asked him if he wanted to bring up a question so dan o'toole wants to know what sense player was your favorite to announce at games um it was initially it was uh nick felino and yarko rutu but my all-time favorite, aside from Alfie, you know, of course, and Craig Anderson and Chris Neal was obviously number nine. And then enough, Bobby! Ryan! A friend of the show, Joseph, who works for the blog New Era Sends, he wants to know, what is the best pizza joint in Ottawa? Oh, no, I'm not falling down that rabbit hole. I'm not taking that bait because I know too many people that make pizza in, in this city. I'll get skewered. I'm not answering that one. Fair enough. If you had to do a 100-meter foot race between Dean Brown or Gord Wilson, who would you choose? Gordy, for sure. Another friend of the podcast, Adam, 
Now, this is in reference to your radio career, Stu. He wants to know, what is your favorite song to hit the post to, and what is your least favorite song to hit the post to? Uh, I don't want to say the least favorite, because we actually play it on Magic. <laughs> I'm not getting a lot of shit. Um, but uh, my favorite all-time song has got to be Power of Love from Huey Lewis. All-time favorite song to hit the post. Excellent. Has your wife ever gotten back at you for the video on social media made regarding her vegan risotto salad? <laughs> She's gotten back to me more than once, trust me. So, Stu, there is a burger place in Ottawa called Burgers and Fries Forever, and when I made the trip out to Ottawa a few years ago, my co-host Tim Jensey recommended this place. Now, he maintains it's the best burger place in Ottawa. I said it was overrated. Do you think Burgers and Fries Forever is overrated, or do you think it's the best burger place in Ottawa? Well, to be honest, to be fair, it's it's about 10 minutes away from me. I've never actually tried one. I've always wanted to try one. But one of the best burgers in the city has got to be from the Wellington Diner, bar none. See, and that's a place I never went to. I see. I used to see it on social media all the time, and I'm kind of embarrassed to admit that I never went there. Well, it's quite far I mean, from where your hotel was. Uh, the Wellington Diner is in West Ottawa. Yeah. Ah, okay. Where were you staying? Yeah, same with Hinto Burger. Uh, I was staying at the Business Inn on Elgin. Okay, so yeah, that's about 15 minutes away. Okay. So, Stu, given that we were talking about social media and since Twitter, there has been a huge debate regarding something on Twitter I've been seeing a long time regarding yourself, and I've got to ask. Now, I'm going to give you a choice. You have to eat one of these or get rid of one of these. KD with ketchup or pizza with extra pineapple. You have to eat one and get rid of the other. I'm going to eat the KD with ketchup. See, and I maintain like KD with ketchup's not that bad, to be honest with you. Like, Maybe I'm just that guy. You might be that guy. KD's just gross in general. What? No, KD's not gross. That's fake cheese. It's awesome. You're about I can do like made macaroni, but I can't do KD. Ooh, I mean it's not bad. I'm not gonna lie with you on that one, Tim. See, I can't. Eat, teach their you know, own, right? I can't. You know when you go for like, um, you know, they serve a natural hot chicken with a side of macaroni and cheese. I cannot eat that macaroni and cheese because to me, macaroni and cheese is KD. I can't eat the real stuff. <laughs> Funny. Eh? So, Stu, again, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule this evening to join us on the podcast. Now, two things before we let you go. First of all, where can the people of Ottawa who don't follow you on social media find you? And where can citizens outside of Ottawa find the Magic 100 Morning Show? Well, if they have the iHeartRadio app, you can you know search up Magic 100 on the iHeartRadio app. Certainly, that's what uh, Magic and all of our Bell Media stations, that's the platform that we're all on. And, um, you know, if they don't follow me on social media, what's wrong with you? How can you not follow me on social media? Come on. It's Stuntman Stu, S-T-U on Instagram, Stuntman Stu on Twitter, and it's Stu Quartz on Facebook. Now, the final thing before we let you go, Stu, it has become a tradition here on the Third Line Plug Sunscast that we always end the interviews with our guests either yelling or saying, Hot Sam Bacho. So, I've got to ask, Stu, can we get a hot sambacho from you? 
Absolutely. I'll channel my inner Brian five to six. Hot Sam Bacho. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank nice. you so much, Stu. Thanks, guys. That was a lot of fun. Those are really great questions. I'm, uh, I'm glad we finally got this together. Thank you, uh, Taylor, and thank you, Tim. Awesome. Thank you so much, Stu. Have a good night. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Man, that was a really great interview with Stuntman Stu. Hey, Tim. Oh, I had a ton of fun. Hopefully he goes out and tries uh, burgers and fries forever. Oh, I know. And if he does that, he has to make uh, a social media post about it. Because if it doesn't happen on social media, it doesn't count. I mean, fair, fair. Yeah. Ultimately, Tim, given that we were just talking with Stu, what are some of the takeaways you took away from today's interview? There's an entire side to radio and uh, PA announcing that I wouldn't have even thought about, to be honest. It's true. And honestly, like I said, I mean, the PA announcers are generally overlooked when it comes to the in-game presentation, in-game experience. And Stuntman Stu is such a legend in the city of Ottawa that, you know, it, we would be remiss if we did bring that up with him. Oh, 100%. And I'm glad I doubt know the background of the name Stuntman Stu. It's beautiful, man. It's a really cool story, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Let's close her out. No problem. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Third Line Plug Sanscast. I hope you've enjoyed it because, believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle at Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8, W-A-T-E, Gipster. If you want to shoot us an email to talk about our interview today with Stuntman Stu, shoot us an email, thirdlightplugsuncast at gmail.com. And don't forget, if you are listening to the show on iTunes, please give us that five-star rating. Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys.